welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama, where we are so pleased to be joined by Ellie Oswald. She is the Executive Director of Faith to Action Initiative, and prior to this role, she served as Director of Mission and Outreach at Bethany Community Church in Seattle, Washington, where she guided Bethany in various ministries to the poor and vulnerable in Seattle and around the world. Ellie also serves as the Children in Crisis Research and Communications Coordinator for World Vision International's Child Development and Rights Technical Team, specializing in community-based care for children deprived of parental care. She has a bachelor's degree from Pepperdine University and a master's in cross-cultural studies and international development from Fuller Theological Seminary. Ellie has worked on a wide variety of nonprofit organizations, including Union Station Homeless Services in Los Angeles, California. We're so grateful to have Ellie here, one, to represent the the wide array of, of experience that she has, but also to help us learn more about Faith to Action Initiative and this whole idea of family-based care. And so we see that biblically, children were meant for families. They were not meant for institutions. Uh, they were not meant for temporary. They were meant for permanency within families. And so we're so delighted to have Ellie come to bring this conversation And I think even as we, Lord willing, are moving into a post-Roe world where we see uh, Roe versus Wade overturned and more pro-life legislation in our states, we need to know that our foster care systems are going to be taxed. And we need to learn more about how we can even care for kids in foster care with permanent, not just temporary solutions. And before Dr. Rick and Ellie come on, I do want to remind you about parent coaching. As summer is upon us, there's certainly a less structured time that can lead to behavioral challenges in your children. Parent coaching is a service available for any parent who needs additional insight into their child's behavior. It's tailored to each family and to each child. There are 45 to 60 minute sessions filled with proven tools and techniques to use in building initial strengths in parenting. You can see our show notes or visit lifelinechild.org backslash parent-coaching. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash parent-coaching for more information and to be connected with a Lifeline staff member. Well, Dr. Rick, we are honored to have Ellie on this podcast. And while Ellie and I have never met, uh, I know you've had a lot of experience uh, both interviewing Ellie before for podcasts, but also with a lot of communication. And we're just excited to have her one, but also to, to just really highlight some of the work of Faith to Action. Yeah, you know, Herbie, one of the things that I love about being a part of the Christian Orphan Care community is the fact that um, it really is a pretty close-knit community. And um, everybody knows everybody. And if you don't know everyone, you probably know them through like a person or two. And and so um, Ellie, I, I got the privilege of meeting Ellie through Phil Dark and, and you know, through, uh, through our buddy there and uh, just have really... Uh, over the years appreciated the ministry of faith to action and, and the things that are, uh, that are happening there in both helping the community to think deeply about family-based care, but also in providing resources and, and, and providing those kind of those actionable, tangible things that help, um, 
transform environments and really help to, to educate and position people to be able to do this well. And so, um, Ellie, thanks for being with us. It was great to be here. I appreciate the chance to talk with you guys. So I think maybe the place to to jump off for the folks that are that are listening to the Defender podcast that may not be familiar with uh, Faith to Action, why don't you just kind of give us a little bit of an overview of your mission, your organization, and 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 who you are? Great. Yeah, Faith to Action is a little unique, a little bit different. Um, we're actually not a our own organization. We're actually a coalition of organizations that have come together, Christian organizations that have come together to try to elevate best practices and increase support for family-based care for children. Um, Like we said, we offer free educational resources to, to other people, to Christian groups, to churches, to individuals who themselves are trying to respond to the needs of orphans around the world. Um, You know, we, like you, believe that children grow best in the love and the care of families. And so our goal really is to make family care the globally recognized best practice for meeting the needs of orphaned and vulnerable children. Um, We know with global statistics that 80% of kids in residential care around the world, um, you know, that includes orphanages and children's homes, 80% of them have a living parent, and the vast majority beyond that have other family members who are willing to care for them. So with the right support, most children can be reunited with their families, and children who aren't able to be reunited with their families can still grow up in family through foster care and adoption. And what we've come to see is that most people simply don't know that, and so we're working working to change it. Yeah, Ellie, I... I, I will just say I've loved the reports that Faith to Action has put out. And I know in my years at Lifeline, they have been actually very helpful in even looking both internationally, uh, but also here at home about how to really help uh, move kids out of residential into family-based care. But I think even as some of your research shows and a lot of y'all's um, information shows, so many people go on short-term mission trips. Uh, We know about 20% of people in America give to some type of residential care internationally. You know, residential care was always meant to be a temporary solution to a problem in a child's life, but in a sense, like a hospital is to a sick person. But somehow we've gotten into this rut where we think that residential care is the solution. How do you talk to those folks and how do you help them understand why it's so critical for children to grow up in a family? Yeah, well, I think... Like I said, um, that that it's something that people don't really know. And I do believe that good people, when they know better, they do better. Um, So often it's about helping kind of tap into what we know. And so, you know, I think uh, we recognize that research exists and research shows that children grow best in the context of families. Um, It's the most essential place for them to experience the belonging, the identity, the emotional support, um, but it's also been proven to be vital for actual the physical and develop uh, and the mental development of children, um, their 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 brain development. 
Um, and, you know, even in the best orphanages, we recognize that they can't, they can meet physical needs, right? They can, they can feed children, water, shelter, even education, but it's the, the, that developmental need for the social emotional support that, um, uh, children really need to thrive long-term. Um, and so, so research is telling this, us this, and adults who grew up in residential care are telling us this as well. And that might be the most important source of information. Um, we, we have a growing generation of young adults who are telling us, you know, thank you for everything that you provided in the orphanage. But through all that time, all I really wanted was family. And now they're advocating for that in their own communities. Um, so research says it. I believe scripture says it. But also, I think intuitively, all, we all know it as well, um, that children belong in families. Um, often people tell their story of how they came to realize how important this was when they thought about their own child. You know, recognizing if something happened to me, who would I want to care for my child? You know, often it's my sister's family, my brother's family, maybe my parents. <clears throat> if that's not possible, someone in the in a, a family in the church or a neighbor, you know, they might get to a place where they think, you know, a love just a loving Christian, a loving Christian family. No one gets to the place where they would like to see their child raised in an orphanage. So I think that's when you kind of think about the fact that, you know, if we're supporting a model of care, um, that we wouldn't want for our child. It's time to rethink that. So I think, you know, Ellie, as I, as I look at other organizations and other ministries and, and kind of try to understand one of the, you know, one of the things I think I'm always drawn to is to look at the, you know, look at the mission and look at the values and look at the things that kind of uh, sit at the center of the organization and kind of those, those things that make the organization tick. And one of the things I really love about faith to action are, the guiding principles that really bring this coalition of ministries together. And so um, I don't want you to feel like this is a test, right? But we, but, I, but I really would love for you to kind of talk through that. So there are seven guiding principles that you as, as an organization really um, rally around. And I think it would be helpful for folks to just kind of understand what those areas of, of common agreement are that have drawn this coalition together and, and like why that's an important, you know, cluster of, 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 of things to be for. Yeah. Yeah. And these principles were, I mean, they were, they were drawn upon and put together 16 plus years ago um, in the wake of kind of reflection on the response to the impact of or the response to the impact of AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa, realizing at one point the research was showing what was working best for kids. We had that, um, but at the same time, there was a um, proliferation of residential care in Sub-Saharan Africa as a response to what was seen as the needs of children at that time. And so that's when these principles were developed. But, but what's been interesting is kind of as the years have gone by, we've needed to go, okay, does this still apply? And they, and they still have throughout the years. The big one, the big test was in response to the, the um, earthquake in Haiti in 2010 and realizing the chaos that ensued from there. And again, this proliferation, this incredible amount of support that was hyper-focused on orphanages instead of other alternatives that kids really needed. And it's just throughout the years held firm. So, you know, the first one is 
that Christians are called to respond. And I think your audience knows that well. They probably wouldn't be spending their time listening to this if they if they didn't. It's clear in scripture, um, the calling to care for the most vulnerable and specifically for the fatherless and for children who are um, separated somehow from the loving care of a family. So this that's the first one and that's foundational. Um, and often when we're talking to people outside of our faith, um, this is the one we emphasize. Like, we're going to be doing this work whether you like it or not, you know? So um, it's just really foundational for the approaches that we take, both with faith actors, but also people who are just working in generally in this space. Um, the second is that children grow best in families, which I think we just talked about and um uh, I think that uh, is something that you can get a lot of information on from faith to action in other places. But the second part of that one is, and they thrive in community. And um, I, I, I was listening to a pastor from Africa again, um, and he said, um, empower our communities and we'll take care of our orphans. And I thought that was really beautiful. Um, you know, he, he said, yeah, we have these things that we're facing that feel bigger than what we can face, you know, when it comes to extreme poverty, to access, you know, um, uh, malnutrition, lack of access to water, you know, disease, um, and and really recognizing that when we invest in community development, when we empower, especially Christians in the church, to be able to respond to the challenges that families are facing in their communities, that they're able to care for their kids. So, so that's really what that the second half of that one means. Um, our third principle is, and an orphanage cannot replace family care. And I think, um, again, this one is maybe where people start to tense up. <laughs> um, but we all know that. And we know it's not the ideal for children. And I don't think anybody would say this is the best option. I think what we do need to reflect on is the fact that it has become a first option in some communities. And, and we haven't, um, I mean, what it should be is is the, the very last resort. Um, and it should be short term, it should be temporary, it should be rehabilitative towards family. Um, but at the end of the day, we know that an orphanage residential care is not gonna replace the God created family care. Um, so that's our third one. Uh, the fourth is local solutions help communities address their own needs. And again, this kind of goes to that quote from that pastor. Um, and so it is is just kind of um, recognizing that piece about empowerment, about um, uh, really um, uh, building ownership in the community and not coming in and and doing what we think is best, um, but but really looking to the local solutions, that building on the assets that exist in communities and, um, and allowing them to be the leaders in what they believe children and families need in their own communities. Um, the fifth one is long-term partnerships create sustainable impact. And I think that really starts to feel helpful in the U.S. Christian space. Um, so what does that mean? We start going, what does all this mean for me? <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it starts to recognize um, Herbie, you mentioned short-term mission trips that, you know, flying in and spending a week, maybe two weeks, even a month, you know, isn't going to 
accomplish much. But if we can commit to a partner that's empowering local community members to respond to the needs that families are facing, to raise up families, new families to care for children who can't go back to their biological families, if we can do that over time, whether it includes some mission trips, it includes regular funding, it includes prayer and mutuality and relationship, that is where we see the most success. So that fifth one is really talking about what do we mean as outsiders, as foreigners in this space globally? Um, and I think it's really helpful. Um, the sixth one is effective responses rely on best practice. And it's so easy. Every day I, I fall victim to a desire to respond to maybe the biggest need, potentially, the area that seems like, you know, like sometimes people have that experience of walking through an orphanage and these kids are in terrible situation and you're like, I've got to do something. We all, that is natural and, and good, but we need to also recognize it's not just about the greatest needs, it's about using best practice and, um, and following our heart, but, 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 our, but allowing our brain to inform that effort um, and really spending some time committed to doing what's best for kids. Um, so I, the other thing I would say about this is, you know, the calling to care for orphans in scripture is, again, so clear. Um, and sometimes it can feel guilt-inducing, like, okay, am I, am I doing it? You know, and so we want to check the box. And I don't think anybody really wants to just check the box, but it's like, okay, I did it. <laughs> I'm, you know, I've got this done. But what, what I would love to see and what I do see around the world is Christians committing to not just doing orphan care, but doing the very best orphan care, having the ideal in mind, not just, um, you know, the simplest option. Um, and then the final one is child and family voices is critical for positive engagement. And this is just recognizing similarly about empowerment to the community is empowering children and families who are vulnerable, um, giving them the agency to make decisions about their lives and supporting them in that effort. So, so those are the seven, um, and they have been so helpful as we've put together many different resources that we've provided coaching and support to Christians who are trying to do their best for kids around the world. Yeah, I, I tell you, the, the seven guiding principles of faith to action are, are really principles that that we exist by as an organization as well. And so it's so encouraging to see this coalition that's not just abiding by these principles, but but really encouraging others to follow these principles. And, you know, COVID-19 global pandemic has been difficult. Uh, we have a lot of global partners in 24 different countries. I think the most encouraging thing, though, during this COVID-19 pandemic was to see these partners thrive and, and really be able to make decisions, not because there were Westerners or Western Christians coming in to tell them what to do or to, to run on the ground, but because they really had been empowered to make the decisions that needed to be made, that they were really running even on what was best for the community. How do we pivot what's best for the community right now? You know, a, a, another one of the things that's just broken my heart as I've traveled around the world is so many kids are in orphanages around the world not because they're orphaned by death, but because they've been orphaned by social poverty. And it's it's not an excuse for a child to be in an orphanage because their parents are poor. And and yet we create these these meccas for these kids to come to and and we aren't actually looking at the systemic reasons that they're in there in the first place and looking at family reunification. And 
I, I just I, I'm, I'm so encouraged, as always, by this idea of how do we get kids out of institutions, not just into non-relative care, but even back with their biological family, that family of origin. Uh, you know, one of the things that as I think of this, though, I think of how Christian mission has always somehow ended up having a piece that's care for the vulnerable, care for vulnerable children. You know, I think of Amy Carmichael. She goes to uh, South India. And even if you know a lot about Amy Carmichael, she was actually bringing kids into her home to personally care for them. Uh, she was a single woman, but she was she she was bringing them into a family structure where they were brothers and sisters. And now littered throughout India are orphanages that have no family structure named after Amy Carmichael, uh, a woman who was bringing kids into her home. And actually, if you look at her story, she was taking kids out of orphanages into a home setting and environment. And so you have this woman who gave her life to bring kids into a home and to share the gospel that now institutions that she was trying to get those kids out of bear her very name. And, and I know this is such a complex question, Ellie, but what can Christians do to make a difference? Like, you know, what we've done maybe over the last hundred years ha- has, has not made the difference that we really want to make. So how do we change and what can Christians practically do to truly get engaged and be a part of this work? Yeah. You know, I think first recognizing like you have that Christians have been at the forefront of caring for vulnerable children around the world since the very earliest days of the church as children were being left outside the um, walls um, and uh, of the city and, and Christian families were taking in these children to raise them as their own. And what I want to say is they have an incredibly important role to play today in transitioning away from residential care and towards family-based care. Um, The desire to respond to that biblical mandate. And then also just the fact that today Christians are ministering, churches are ministering with incredible generosity, with compassion, with sacrifice, with courage to unfortunately an increasing number of vulnerable children, which we've we've seen, especially in response to to, um, COVID-19. But in the U.S., Christians are major supporters of residential care, orphanages and otherwise. Um, We worked with Barna to do a survey of U.S. Christians, the Barna Group, and they found um, that an estimated $2.5 billion, billion, which that number isn't even like comprehensible to me, um, is given from individual Christians to residential care every single year. And this doesn't include a church budget or a foundation. This is just you and me writing a check and sending it off every year. That's a huge amount of money. I mean, can you imagine if that kind, even a portion of that was directed to family strengthening and alternative family-based care? Um, They also found 4 million U.S. individual Christians um, reported visiting orphanages on mission trips. Um, So incredibly popular um, Uh, mission trip uh, activity. But again, what most Christians didn't realize in that survey, what they clearly didn't realize is that there are family-based alternatives to orphanage. They just thought, I mean, for lack of a better word, it was a necessary evil. And um, what we know is there's other solutions, and this is a solvable problem. Um, And so um, Christians now, I think, have the opportunity, even if it's their $30 check a month, Um, to change their focus from visiting and funding orphanages to supporting 
vulnerable families to care well for children, whether that is biological families, aunties, uncles, grandparents, or foster parents and adoptive parents in these communities. So um, we have the power and the influence to move the needle for orphaned and vulnerable children. Um, and I'm excited to see the, the, the church lead in this. Um, I, there are very tangible ways I think people can, can respond, praying about this shift. And of course, as part of that praying, asking God if there's, you know, to reveal a way that you can join in it. Um, considering your giving, looking at who you're giving to, um, considering if there's opportunities to grow giving to family-based care. Um, of course, your organization does great work, so <laughs> we would recommend that as well. Um, and then look at mission trips and take mission trips that are really focused on strengthening and empower local, local families. Um, and, it, you know, avoid that afternoon at the orphanage, because I don't think we realize how much, you know, we think, oh, we're there for four hours. What is that going to do? But it actually kind of makes brings a power dynamic to that model of care in the community, um, and really and puts maybe more um, more emphasis on that model than we might realize. Um, and then the other thing is help raise awareness because the challenge that we're facing right now is there is a general cultural belief that orphans need orphanages. And if you think about what an orphan is, like, even though that definition is flawed and misused all the time, what's the opposite of an orphan, a child and family? So the reality is this just really basic cultural assumption that orphans need orphanages needs to shift to orphans need families. Um, that's the solution. And so if we can just talk to people, you know, um, uh, it's it's your friends, it's your your small group, that kind of thing, and talk to them about something you heard on this podcast um, or something you've been reading. That is going to go a long ways, um, more than I think you realize. So there are very tangible things, and I hope that honestly that the church is the 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 best practice example, right? Um, we talk. I like to talk about this train um, care reform. That's kind of a technical term, but the changing the way that we care for orphaned and vulnerable children, that is already happening. The train has left the station. You know, international UN guidelines have become very specific. Nations are being held accountable to changing their systems of care for children. Um, and so the question to me is that trains down, moving slowly down the tracks, where's the church on that train, right? Are we the caboose? sometimes, right? Are we kind of like screeching, holding the brakes a little bit, um, you know, resisting this change? My prayer and my hope is that we could actually be the spotlight of that train. The headlight, I guess, is the term, because we have so clearly the vision for family in scripture, and it's a part of church history. We can shine that light and lead this work. Um, so that's my hope and prayer, and I see it happening all over the world, but but we need more, we need more support around this work. So I'm excited to see that happen. Well, you know, in, in biblically, right, we're called to humility, but a lot of times I think, especially Western Christians, we go into the rest of the world and we believe our culture should dominate and that our solution should be best. Uh, I was I was shook even, you know, decades ago on mission trips and how we'll go into impoverished communities and pull out our camera and start taking pictures with kids that are on the streets without any understanding that, that child in our cultural lens may seem like the most impoverished person we've ever seen, 
but they have they probably have a family. They most probably have a mom and a dad. And, you know, imagine if there was a bus that came from some international uh, country and they pull into your neighborhood and get out on your front lawn and start taking pictures with you and your kids in order to say, hey, look at the good work that we're doing. We're taking pictures with kids on their front lawn. Like, I, I think we've got to be humble and we have to be culturally relevant as we're going into the the nations in the world. And I just want to echo, like, we are doing so much harm when we are sending a revolving door of people to go into orphanages and play with kids. Like, we're, we're not teaching kids uh, about that primary caregiver. And again, orphanages are a temporary place, but even the caregiver structure within an orphanage is not based so that a child uh, learns to give affection and learns to receive care from one person. It, their, their affection becomes indiscriminate. And when we bring in mission trips like a revolving door into those orphanages, we're not helping those kids physically. We're not helping them mentally. We're not helping them emotionally. And we're not helping them at all. But I love what you say. Let's empower the local church. Let's empower the local believers to go be the hands and the feet. And to be a consistent uh, place. I, I just, I would love if you don't mind, like in this work, what are some of the best local solutions you've seen around the world where they really are doing such a great job at addressing their own needs? That, that principle number four, which I think is so important. And really, again, it goes back to the heart that we're called to humility, not to take our own ideas and our own views, but to humbly serve together with that local community. What are some of those local community uh, models that you've seen that have been so successful? Yeah. Um, well, I think that um, the best work is happening in the local church. Um, and so when we see, especially like the context of COVID-19, that, you know, is still a challenge in countries around the world is, as we've kind of shifted to a different phase here in the U.S., we recognize it's still such a challenge around the world. Um, but one of the things that the church has to do is to be able to recognize vulnerable families and then to come around them. And that is where um, we really see prevention of children being separated from their families. Um, because um, this, I think it leans into this um, conversation about the reasons kids end up in orphanages that you've commented on a couple of times. Um, you know, I think there are well, there's a couple things that are interesting in that space. I like to think of the reasons. There are a lot of reasons why kids end up in residential care, um, but I like to put them in two categories. There's push factors and pull factors. So push factors are like the negative things that are happening to a child and to a family that force them to a position um, of of assume or of of placement of children in the orphanage. So the first and and most common one, and really it's not just most, most common, it's foundational, is poverty, extreme poverty. And so um, Bethany um, Christian Services uses a term poverty plus, and I think more people use it now. But it's poverty plus some sort of crisis in the family that leads to a situation where they are able to care well for their children. So poverty plus a family member dies, poverty plus illness or disability, um, either a family member with a disability or a child with a disability, poverty plus loss of a job, poverty plus an addiction. Um, so these are the kind of the things that uh, we see um, globally kind of in a, in a brush stroke lead children to be placed in families. But then there's also pull factors. So pull factors are the positive 
things that draw people towards orphanages, you know, so they provide things like access to education, of course, physical needs, you know, food, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And uh, special services for children with disabilities. The thing is, when you consider a vulnerable family in the community who has some of those needs and wants to provide for their children, like earnestly has a desire to provide for their children, and that stuff is being offered in the context of child and residential care, it's an impossible choice. And I think when you're talking to kind of the Western world, we need to realize that we have played a role in putting families in that position because orphanages are not indigenous to the warm cultures around our world. Orphanages are a model that have come from colonization and foreign missionaries. And as that has come in, it's developed to become this kind of vital fabric and a first response to the challenges that families have. And then we've seen perpetuated through terrible disasters like the AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa and natural disasters that this model has just been over and over emphasized. This is where you get access to support, foreign support especially. So it puts families in an impossible situation. Um, So I haven't even answered your question, (laughs) but um, the models that we see are working well is when, when people of faith come around to address the issues that families are facing in their own communities and realizing that um, what is that poverty is one, but what is that plus often? You know, maybe there's an addiction problem in the community and what does it mean to address those root causes? And, um, the balance of foreign kind of cross-cultural relationships is so sensitive, right? And I think sometimes people who are incredibly sensitive to it, which I mean, my master's is in cross-cultural studies, um, and I've been in that chair, will say, I am not going to tell our partners what to do. I am not going to tell them that Ellie was talking bad about orphanages on this podcast because that she is Western and I'm not going to come in and force that. But I think Uh, what we realize is that mutuality means mutuality, like bringing what you're learning in your full self to a genuine, authentic conversation with your global partners and um, recognizing and and asking them also to, to join you in a vision that God has for children. And when they get there, they can talk authentically. When they get over the fear of losing funding from foreigners, of the the fear that you know the 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 community will never embrace foster care, um, when they get over that fear and are drawn to the calling that God has for us to pursue God's best for kids, they rise up and do incredible things. We've seen foster care, especially, be the local church be the place to recruit and provide support for foster care and adoption in countries around the world, um, bringing education to families so they don't have to put children in residential care centers, um, daycare so that a single mom can work or try to work instead of feeling like they need to be home with their small children. All of these things are creative solutions that local Christians and local families can come up with when they really think, okay, what if we thought about something better for these kids? Um, and it's beautiful to see when that happens. You know, Ellie, I, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm drawn to, even thinking about your your last answer, and and you know, we we've kind of hit on this this theme of humility 
you know, several times throughout the conversation. And, and I, I think one of the things I'd be remiss if I didn't say at this point is um, that that we we find it a little easier sometimes, I think, to have this conversation about humility when we're talking about an international context. But the fact is that that we also have to apply all of this thinking right here at home and and the way that we engage and, and the role that the church plays here. And, and I think, you know, there is a I think there's a burden on us as as believers to to work toward family strengthening and fam- family reunification here in the U.S. as much as we do anywhere else. And that and that part of the part of the, the Christian answer, part of the church based answer in this is to say that that's consistent with the gospel. <laughs> that that there's a there's a sense that we believe that there's there's transforming power in in the gospel and and in following Jesus and and that if there ought to be a hopeful community anywhere in the world that's stepping in with families that are struggling and pointing them toward um wholeness and health and ultimately pointing them toward the truth of the gospel, it, it ought to be us. And and so I think that that's just a, a bit of a reminder to say that like we have to continue to provoke these conversations. We have to continue to grasp onto these principles. We have to continue to filter our action, you know, through those things. And one of the helpful things that that really um, catalyzes those conversations and helps us to, to do that well are great resources that help us to think and help us to shape ministry and help us to help us to become uh, as as we're trying to resolve this question. And so, all of that is to, is, is sort of a, a grand setup to say that that one of the most um, just fantastic things about faith to action is are are the resources and the and the production of helps and the things that 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 you all do in order to, to serve the church and to serve communities in, in having, um, you know, having these conversations. And so, uh, you know, could you, could you kind of talk to us about maybe what are some of those primary things that you offer as helps to, you know, to churches and, and, and ministries that are trying to, to do well in this area. And then also like, where can people actually go to find your resources and, and to connect and to, you know, go deeper? Yeah, I think like I said before, we everything we do, we provide for free because our the whole point of what we've been doing for 16 years is to be a bridge between the evidence base, the research and what we're learning is working best for kids and people who want to do what's best for kids. So um, I get to fundraise every day sharing that vision um, of making that information accessible. And part of that is we provide free written resources, but also trainings and coaching and support. Um, So some of the resources that are helpful, especially if you just kind of want to, you know, kind of build the foundation of your learning is we have a summary of research and kind of outlines the research behind this in in simple terms. We have guides like our short-term missions guide, which kind of helps us recognize some of the risks associated with short-term mission trips to orphanages and offers alternatives and principles to guide responses that would be supporting the long-term solution of children and families. Um, 
For children, for organizations, faith-based organizations who are running residential care and know they could do a bit better, um, we have a lot of support of, to help them consider transition and to start transitioning. So we have guidance manual, we have a training with some of the global experts in this space, and we have coaching that kind of helps you connect with people on the ground, especially that can provide technical support for specific things that will help you um, you know, move children back into the context of family. So um, those are just a few of the things that you can find everything on faithtoaction.org. It's faith to action. Some people want to say faith um, in action, faithtoaction.org. Um, we also really promote the work of the partners around the world who are doing are joining us in this work. So um, some of it we've created, but there's tons of good stuff out there. If you feel overwhelmed, just email us um, through that website and we will we'll love to journey with you. That's what we're set up to be able to do. And Rick, I appreciate you bringing that context to kind of our local um, situation because I think so often the, one of the, the challenges with our global work, but I think our local work as well, is that we assume things are different over there, but kids are kids and families are families. Um and I think the work of supporting families is never going to end. Like families are complex and hard and challenging, but we don't give up on them. Like we know they're vital. And so um, supporting families globally and locally is is orphan care. You know, we have to expand our idea of what orphan care is and recognize these kids have, they have families. And what does it mean to, um, to love and support um, those families to care well for children? So Ellie, the reality is that we're kind of all aware that we could keep having this conversation for the rest of the afternoon. And, and, and so here's the deal. We want to, we do want to continue this and would love to maybe have you back at some point and to pick up here and to continue to talk just because I think there's, there's so much of a wealth of things to explore. And, um, you know, we we want to just reiterate to you know to the folks that are listening. Go to Faith to Action. Go um, and 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 dive into the resources that are available and the conversations that are being had and the opportunities for coaching and the things that that are that that are available and the things that God is doing through um, through this coalition of ministries because um, because there's there's important work and healthy work. And there's God honoring work that's going on as a result of that. And so, Ellie, we want to say thank you to you for joining us and uh, taking the time to to engage in this conversation with us. And and like I said, we want to make an invitation that you'll come back. So we we, we want to make sure that uh, that that we uh, like we're overt about telling you we want to do this again. Um, but thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for um, listening to the Defender podcast and continuing to join us. And um, we pray that um, the Lord will continue to, to strengthen and inspire and to challenge you in ways that, uh, that the body of Christ can be involved and ultimately can put uh, light on the King because of what we do in, uh, in, in, these, in these vital places that we've been called to among vulnerability. And so thanks for listening and we'll see you again here next week. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.